Hello and welcome back to another episode of 99 Problems But A Boss Ain't One, the podcast that tackles your freelance challenges one episode at a time. I'm one of your co-hosts, Katie Carlisle, and I've been freelance for six years running my own Squarespace web design and training business, The Wheel Exists. Hi, my name's Michelle Pratt, owner of divedeeperdevelopment.com, a coaching and personal development business. And we're going to be talking about competition in this episode. So as more people go freelance, we're wondering how can you stand out against your competition? Or if you're just starting to go freelance, how can you set yourself apart and how do you deal with competitors? So Michelle, when you first went freelance, were you worried about competition? What, how did you tackle it? Yeah, I did. I did. I was very, very focused on what was out there, and it, um, and I because you don't know. I think I'd worked in did the job that I do internally for another company, so you know how you are within the company. But the minute you go out into the big wide world, you have no idea how you compare to what's out there. But I did go on a training course and, and decided to get myself a bit of business training. And the coach there, um, Stephen Bates from Certain Change, he said, "Well, you know, work out what you want to do, work out how you're going to work." And then you decide how much you want to charge for your services. And I was like, okay, but don't you have to check the market rate? Don't you need to know what's out there? Like, don't you need to know, like, how do you know how much to charge? He said, no, 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 no. Don't worry about what's out there. You decide what you want to charge and you decide how you're going to work and you decide for yourself. It's all about you. Don't worry about the rest. And I just could not get my head around the fact that you could do it all kind of internally based just looking inwards and not outwards and that kind of that was that just baffled my mind I couldn't get my head around it I don't know how you feel about that Katie whether it's a I don't know an internal thing or an external thing well yeah because I think we we're sort of so used to I think especially from the corporate world it's all about competitor research you know um how, how do we compare ourselves I mean you know we're in a at the time of recording it's it's everything is in a bit of a state of political disarray and it's really interesting if you go onto a lot of the political parties websites around election times you'll see what they actually do is they don't really talk about what they stand for themselves they reference other parties so i remember before the last general election i went and had a look on various party websites because i try and like you know read and get informed so that i'm i kind of feel like i'm still voting the way i you know that aligns with my values um and and, and i remember going on to i think it was the labor website and literally the most common word on that on the homepage was tories and all they were doing was referencing themselves in relation to someone else. And it really put me off because I was just like, yeah, but who are you? Who are you? Um, so, so I think we, as a society, we are very kind of wary of competition. And I'm sure it kind of goes back to our ancestors and, and you know, making sure that, that we got the prize cut of, you know, prize cut of meat or whatever from the well, hunting times. But no, for, for me, I suppose because I was, I was lucky in that I didn't have... My, my previous background where I've worked, I was a teacher and I worked in the charity sector. And so I wasn't brought up on a, on a diet of competitors, if you were like, so it, it was more about how can, you know, how can we achieve these goals or how can we deliver the service and things like that. But it wasn't as much about competition. Um, but even though I, when I went freelance, loads of people were saying that like, oh yeah you should do competitive research you should find out what other people are charging um you know i use sites like people per hour when i first started out and on there if you look at your competition it's like you've got people from all over the world who have got lower costs of living and and you're just like how do i even begin to compete with them 
Um, but then, and I can't actually remember where I first kind of came across this idea, but somebody said like, oh, you don't have any competition. Like there's not, there's not actually, there's, there is no such thing as having a competitor, compet uh, competitor. <laughs> there's no such thing as a competitor. I was like, how, what? Um, and they pointed out that like, there's, there's many things that can set you apart from other people. And, and so take me with my example. Um, so I, you know, was a square, Squarespace, web designer when I first started out not that many people were using Squarespace so that kind of already set me apart from other web designers so if I was kind of in the world of web designers yeah I'm, I can't compete as a web designer there's probably lots of better web designers than me um or, or people you know ones that are just more established that people would choose um Okay, look then, if you look at the kind of circle of Squarespace web designers, okay, at, you know, when I first started out, it's a bit bigger now, but when I first started out, that was a smaller pool. And then you look at, okay, what about the group of Squarespace designers who used to work in the charity sector? And you're like, that number then plummets. Like, there's, you know, probably only hundreds in the UK, if, if not tens, who've got that background. Um, and then if you look at, okay, what about location? So how many people are Squarespace developers with a background in the charity sector in sort of the Manchester area? And then I've got my teaching background as well. So then it's like, okay, how many people are Squarespace developers in the Manchester area with charity sector and with a teaching background, which meant that I could do the training as well. And all of a sudden you realize actually there isn't anybody that is that the same as me in that sense. And so for me, I always feel now because of that, I always feel like I don't really have competition. There's other people that do similar work to me, but actually it's it's more about who am I the right fit for is how I approach it. Yeah, it's, it was interesting because we, every so often we take ourselves off to kind of like a strategy day and we work on our business. So we've we've done it in shepherd's huts, we've done it in uh, beach huts. And we, we, were, we were sitting there doing exercise working on our, our businesses. And I remember Katia Williams was working with you, Katie, and um, you were talking about your business and what your aspirations were. And then she asked you, what about your competition? And your answer was... Uh, I don't have any competition and I think that took us both back because we were both quite surprised like what do you mean you don't have other competition you explain what you just explained but the other thing that you said was uh, there's no one there's no I'm the only me there's no other me so yes there's other web designers but no one has your personality was the thing that kind of came through to me and I think that's important as well I mean there's lots of people have the technical capability but it's the experience of a, working with a person which can make you quite quite different from the competition as well which I think is really which really struck me as well because you're right everyone does what you do but they necessarily do it the way that you do in it. the same way that you do yeah um I mean so we can look at the different ways that you can potentially set yourself apart from other people so like you said personality which I think that's that's probably one of the biggest ones um personality and I think maybe how you work with people as well like your approach to solving problems because most people most people who have set up their own business they're solving a problem of some description and so it's how you solve that problem because not everybody is going to take the same approach to solving that problem yeah I was just going to say like you say they don't want to take your approach to solving the problem but it's not just the problem I think it's the the personality it's the way you treat people so I think if you take web design as something quite tangible 
Um, lots of people can build websites, but some of those people are very technically minded and they think that what the business they're in is on the technical stuff. Um, but I'm not paying for code. I- I'm paying for someone to solve a business problem for me. And so working with, say you, for example, you're not you're not intimidating. You don't you don't baffle people with technical jargon and I don't feel thick if I talk to you about websites. Whereas, uh, and also I think if I were to talk to someone who was very technically gifted, but didn't have that kind of way of talking to people or didn't have the ability to break it down or make it easy for customers, I would feel intimidated. I wouldn't know whether I was spending too much, too little. There'd be all sorts of stuff there. So sometimes, you know, it's maybe you're quite humorous or maybe you're quirky and people like that. Some people are going to hate it. You know, some people go for someone more serious or with a bit more gravitas or grounded, or maybe, you know, you're just, you take your time, you go at a slow pace. Maybe you're really, you know, popular on Instagram or something. I mean, different people are drawn to different things and we just tend to gravitate to the people who we just like. I mean, people say you people buy the person, not the product, and that makes me want to be a little bit sick in my mouth. But <laughs> um, um, it's but I think that the person is is absolutely an integral. That is part of the product and the offering, isn't it? And and we all have something to offer to people. I think. Yeah, it's, I mean, you just reminded me of um, you probably heard me already talk about Paul Jarvis because I love him, um, and he sends out a weekly newsletter on a Sunday. And I remember there was one time he sent one and the subject line was, I put people off. And then he went on to say how he deliberately puts people off. So so like he uses that as a kind of a filtering mechanism to weed out the people that would probably more likely want to work with his competitors or for, with, with other people. So he says, you know, I'm, I'm tattooed, I'm, I'm really sweary, um, I'm vegan, which some people don't like. Um, Piers Morgan's you know. not going to work with him, is he? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, which is it's so weird that that's even a thing. Um, but, you know, he said, there's all these things about me. Like, you know, he said, I'm, I'm an introvert. And uh, he said, there's a lot of things that that mean that people won't want to work with me. And he said, I've had people who have subscribed to my newsletter and then unsubscribed and replied to say that they've unsubscribed because he swore in a newsletter. And and so people, you know, and it, so it is a genuinely like people leave him because of how he's decided to, to be with his personality. But he sees that as a good thing. And so do I, um, you know, the, the idea that actually don't try to be like other people, don't try to be like your perceived competitors. If you kind of, march to the beat of your own drum as it were then your people will gravitate towards you um like I'm, I'm sure I must have said on the podcast before the story about when I first um first started up and I really wanted to do a speaking gig and so I got in touch with this it was called the business startups show and they had a, a kind of big startup conference at the excel center in London so I got in touch with them and said do you you know have any speaking slots and they said, oh, we do, but you have to have a stand. So I thought, okay, well, there's no harm in having a stand. And then they told me the price and I was like, Ugh. but I decided to go for it anyway, because I thought it's going to be such an opportunity to do market research and everything. So I went, so I went and bought the, uh, paid for the, um, uh, the stand at the conference, but I'd kind of forgotten to budget for like furniture in the, in the budget, even though I used to work in the event industry and should have known better. Um, <laughs> so so in the end, I ended up buying this cardboard kind of flat pack furniture. And normally what they do is they'll, they'll brand it for you 
and then post it directly to the venue. But to save money, I got the just blank cardboard furniture. And then I went and made myself a little template um, by drawing around my logo on the screen and cut it out and cut out all the diff- various different letter templates and um, wrote the words um, websites, woo, yeah, in spray paint and then spray painted them on the side of this cardboard furniture along with my logo and business name. And I think what what that did was set me apart because when I went down and it and I was freaking out about it to start with because when I got there everyone else was setting up and it was a sea of corporate professionalism and I was going oh I've made a terrible mistake but actually when the show started people came over to me the kind of people I wanted to speak to and the kind of people I didn't want to speak to I saw the middle-aged men in suits walking by and tutting and I was like brilliant because this is making me this is bringing the people to me and I didn't have a competitor at that stand, you know, that at that show because there wasn't anybody else that was quirky and creative and offering what I was offering. And so, yeah, the, the people I wanted to work with who were maybe doing projects that were a little bit different, which is what I want. I want to work with people who are doing cool, interesting things. They came to me because of that. Um, so I think setting yourself apart might seem scary at first. It might seem like you might feel like you want to fit in you know, it's a bit like being back at school and it's like, you've got to have the, you know, the, when I was at school, it was the Umbro backpack. That was like the thing that you had to have to fit in was the like, the, the Umbro backpack. And, but it's like the, what, you know, it's, it's really tempting to try and fit in with everybody when you first go freelance and like align yourself with everyone else. But actually you're kind of doing yourself a bit of a disservice, I think. Yeah, I think you're definitely, I think that that's the hard thing to get your head around is, is polarizing. Because I think you speak to people who are new to business, they'll say, I want to appeal to everybody. And of course, in a way you sort of do, but in a way you really don't, you know, there's, there's people out there you want to work with and people that you don't, and you don't want to um, shut any doors and you don't want to cut off any channels and you want to cast your net broad and wide. That's actually not what you want to do. You absolutely like Paul, Paul Jarvis's newsletter. You want to polarize. You want to distinguish between those that are your crowd and those that are not. And if you switch a few people off, then you're probably doing it right. If you're switching everybody off, then you're probably doing something wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, if you definitely, there's some people that you do, do and don't want to work with and I think and I think that's it and I think for me there's also about picking up bits bits of your personality and as a coach I would probably say that's where self-awareness comes in but just picking on parts of your personality and either amplifying them or at the very least bringing those to the fore and I know and that's hard I find that hard and I know my clients find it hard because you take who you are for granted because you're just you every day so you don't really notice it you think that's that's normal but you have qualities that other people really appreciate whether that is being introverted whether that is uh, being quiet or whether it's being just brutally honest or whether it's being incredibly diplomatic whether it's being quite loud quite creative or whether it's being quite pragmatic I mean just these tiny little things uh, are things that will really bring people towards you so I think there's something there about just bringing um yeah just just bring, just turning the volume up on your personality and letting that really really shine and that is your brand as well and some people like, don't like brands by the way and they don't like the word uh I'm Stuart Baggs the brand and Alan Shiv's like no you're not if <laughs> <Shut laughs> you ever saw him on The Apprentice that's how not to do it you you are not a brand you are a person but I, some people don't like brand and some people I, I would say reputation or um, how you are thought of is, is kind of what I'm getting at, I guess. Yeah, and I think, I, I actually don't mind brand. Uh, you know, I, I, I think 
in some ways you yeah you you are your brand but i see brand in more that kind of reputation way like i think the brand is what people associate with you when they think about you that's how i think of as a brand and i'm like okay well that's fine i don't mind people that you know i don't mind that um i think like michelle with you for example like you're really thoughtful and so i think that's one of the qualities that makes you a really good coach and and so i think as well like if you're struggling to figure out what it is that are your kind of qualities to bring to the forefront think about why you do what you do and what motivated you to go freelance as well because most of the time it's not to make corporate megabucks it's because you wanted to make a difference or you wanted to do something differently um and so for me it's like yeah i've got the web design skills and i went i you know i chose to do squarespace web design because i really loved using it and i like kind of beating technology but actually that wasn't the reason I went freelance I could have gone and worked in-house as a Squarespace developer so then I'm like okay well what is it that actually made me want to go freelance and so I think that's quite a good clue sometimes as to what can make you set yourself apart so for me a really big motivating factor was that I wanted to a be in control of who I worked with so that I could choose the people that were a good fit for me but also it was that I didn't want anyone to be in a position where they felt like they'd been taken advantage of by the web developer or they'd been scared, like you were saying, with technical jargon or that, you know, they'd kind of had their site kind of held hostage um, by, by having to have monthly payments to the web design company to maintain it and update it. I wanted to give people the freedom. And so then that's what I focus on is that how I want to make people's lives easier and how I want to kind of yeah make everything not scary and and so then I focus on the friendly aspect of my personality which is naturally there as well I'm not contriving it just for the sake of selling products but that's what I focus on you know my website is a bit silly and it is quite casual in the tone that it uses but that's deliberate because I want to make sure that people know that that's what they're going to get from me yeah definitely and I think your values and your beliefs are things that set you apart as well and I think that's the other thing lots of people do what you do but they and and on the surface it may look like both people are providing the same service but actually you have a different back and your background story as well and I think that's your background story of of how you got to doing what you're doing or why as you say why you chose to do what you do is something you can potentially share with your customers your clients to get them on board because there's people out there that are going through the same thing or to whom will be just really drawn with that so yeah your your values your belief and you can and I know lots of people put those on their website as well or, or pick two or three of them and make them part of their brand as well the only thing I would say, caveat I would say with that is if you're going to make your values part of your brand they can't just be words on a website like people have to experience them from you so it's probably better to like let people experience stuff and then reference it on your website rather than just put some aspirational values on your website <laughs> it's meaningless like it's easily done yeah especially when you first start and you don't know what to say as well <laughs> yeah and actually one of the first things I ever did was to to work out my values and uh, and that that kind of then did help to inform the decisions that I made about how I wanted to put the website together and everything. So I think starting with values is probably the thing that makes the most sense because I guess that kind of underpins everything else. Um, I would also say that something like uh, something something that's obviously kind of becoming a bit more um, relevant at the moment is something like sustainability, which might not be anything to do with what you do in your 
kind of main job but that's something that a lot of people are becoming much more conscious about so again if if you're looking to set yourself apart and you are already passionate about sustainability but you're not talking about it then actually that can be another way of connecting with people who want to work with somebody who cares about like people and the planet and a kind of sustainable economy um so i think that's another way to to set yourself apart yeah um, definitely so i think your values i was just thinking i meant a long time ago to put about my the, the the charities i volunteer for on my website not to go oh look at how noble i am but actually as part of my values and one of the things that i kind of wrestled with um many years ago is do i identify myself as being gay on on linkedin or do i put that in twitter and do i share that stuff in a professional space spoiler alert yes and um, <laughs> I, I've been doing that for years but I still meet people who sometimes question whether or not they should do it and I think it's like you're saying about the polarization your values your you know your personality these these things that are dear to you um you're right they'll switch people off and that's absolutely fine by me I've, I've never had a homophobic comment have I, I think I've probably lost business in the past but really not from anyone who I would want to to work with I, literally you can count that on one one finger maybe two and um, there's probably one I don't know about but literally I mean I think like you say it'll drive people away but equally it starts a lot of conversations and and may make some people more willing to to approach you than others so yeah definitely don't hold back if those if these things are important to you you really believe them yeah, and it is really scary when you're freelance to kind of put yourself out there. And, you know, you, you are making yourself quite vulnerable when you're doing that. And so, and, and I think there is that fear of the negative comments. You know, I have that. Sometimes, even though I'm quite open about being quite sweary, I'll sometimes write a tweet and then at the last minute I'll change it and sort of tone it down and make it a bit more PG. Because I'm just like, oh, actually, I don't, I don't know. Is that going to sound wrong? You know, so I, I, I still do it now because I don't want people commenting you know if I'm doing something if I'm, I'm if I'm being so yeah quite silly then I'm like is am I being too silly and, and and I think it is it is really scary to do because because you will you are kind of narrowing your net as it were and yeah you're worried that those people might tell you why they don't like you it's very hard when you are yeah if you are kind of being your brand in inverted commas like there is that fear of judgment, but I think the the risk of judgment is still, I think, less than the benefits of making yourself you and kind of bringing people in that way. Yeah, a friend a friend of mine said to me he he also d does freelancing, does the same job as me, but freelancing. And I was chatting to him because I thought, well, like, he'll have the lowdown. And he's a interestingly, he's a very different personality to me, so I wouldn't say necessarily take all of his advice but he said to me Michelle you know it's like football managers it's not how capable you are you know some of them fancy you some of you don't that's just how it is and I thought oh that's good if I don't get a gig <laughs> or I don't get a client um I will obviously ask myself is there something I could do better but sometimes people just just don't want to you I think there are some more practical things as well we've identified aren't there Katie that uh, besides your values your personality which is normally what we think of a brand actually the good news is you don't need some massive mission statement or some no, really discovery don't. Um there are some more simple things aren't they talk us through some of those yeah so I think even even from a practical perspective I mean we mentioned it earlier when I was talking about my, my kind of competition but actually your location could set you apart if if most people in your industry are in London and you're in Cornwall that is something that is different and 
there might not be many other people in Cornwall that provide that service. And so actually by being in that location, you you are setting yourself apart and the people who are around you are probably grateful to have a service that did to be able to work with a local provider or even somebody who so, so like if I was wanting to work with somebody I love I love the sea I've just moved to Anglesey to be by the sea and so for me if I worked with somebody who'd also kind of gone and moved to some random seaside location to start their business I'd feel that immediate affinity with them because of the, because they're because of their location I think where you base yourself does say something about you um and you know, people who are looking to work with, you know, people in the in the north want to work with northern companies, and so it can be scary again not to follow the masses and not to kind of go to the big cities. And but actually, I think there's still ways you can do it. I was going to say location, Katie. On that one, I was just thinking as you were saying that for me, one of my one of the the selling points for me is is. Um, the not being restricted by location. So mm. one of the things I do is management training and I can do that globally through virtual classrooms. At this point in time, not many people do virtual classrooms and not many people do them well, which is the biggie. So a bit of a specialist in that area, which means literally I can do the same workshops, the same quality to people. Well, I have done to, to people in East Asia, in Aust- Australasia, in uh, America, in the Americas, just literally all over the world. And so sometimes your ability to, to, to provide that experience that way can also be good in terms of location yeah that's so true actually and that looking for the opportunities where there isn't much kind of happening at the moment so that you can get in there and be one of the first makes a massive difference so like for me that was the same with me with Squarespace training like I've been offering it for ages and if you googled me I always came up pretty near the top problem was no one was googling it but now people have started to want Squarespace training. So now they're now I'm sort of primed and ready when they do search for it. But it was a bit of a long game. So I think that's the other thing is that sometimes if if you are if you are kind of innovating and if you are ahead of the game, it might sometimes feel like you're you might start to doubt yourself and be like, okay, I'm not getting anything here. Like, I don't, no one else is here with me. Am I doing something wrong? But a lot of the time, if you persevere, you will get there. It just takes people a while to cotton onto it. So like all the businesses that like with the sustainability example, all the businesses that have been sort of um, tooting their sustainability horns for years and years, and everyone's just been a bit like, oh, kind of weird eco warriors. Now, all of a sudden, those businesses have got a really good established platform where, where they're known for their sustainability and where before they might have been slightly derided now people are flocking to them and so I think it, it does it takes a bit of courage but again pinning your colours to the mast around what you believe in and what you want to do I think makes a lot of sense or, or or something that not many people are doing just give it a go you haven't got that much to lose either you can create um, a market as well as research one yes, can't you if it doesn't exactly. exist yet uh, yeah well that's first. it yeah, you just need to you just need to like help people understand why this new thing is going to make a difference for them. Um, so I think yeah, the other thing I was going to say was something like your working hours. So most people work approximately nine to five. Still, I would say the majority of people, the majority of work gets conducted between the kind of traditional nine to five hours. So if you're somebody that wants to or chooses to work evenings or weekends then or possibly in addition to working sometime during the week as well then you're making yourself available for people who don't have as much options in the evening or weekends so if you're a, if you're a parent and you can only do the work when your partner's home and your kids have gone to bed or on a weekend when you've got somebody to take care of them then 
There are probably other people in the same situation as you who only really have that time in the evenings and weekends. And so that can set you apart. So you might feel like, oh, I'm gonna miss out on clients because I can't work during the day. But actually, if you then flip that idea and take what you kind of see as like a bit of a disadvantage into an advantage, then that can set you apart. And actually, you you might have a narrower market, but within that market, you will have more options. Um, uh, yeah, and, and Joseph, with my global hat on again with that one, again, you can work with people in different time zones these yeah. days. So, literally, if like I, I was uh, coaching a kind of new mother, and uh, literally her baby's sleep pattern is crazy. So, the only time she can really do coaching is some stupid o'clock in the morning uh, when the baby's asleep and, um, <laughs> and, and between the hours. But actually, that, that may, means that you can work with people in different locations if what you do can be done remotely as well. So, yeah, search those markets too. There may be people for whom that's quite convenient yeah exactly and you know we're very lucky in that there are english-speaking countries either way in our in our time difference and obviously yeah. you know a lot of people around the world speak english too um but you know if you can kind of go either way to the to north america or you can go to australia depending on what time you want to target um so that's quite handy um and i think you know one of the things that that is often the elephant in the room when you're freelancing is price um so michelle i wanted to ask you about like how what what's your opinion on how to try should you try and use price to set yourself apart from other people i think it depends what you do generally speaking for the the kind of services that freelancers offer generally speaking the answer is no um the um it it can help to be in the same ballpark but generally, generally i would say no the the reason why is that the ideal way to set the price, I think, is to work out what, well, firstly, work out what you need to earn. And we do a whole other podcast on this, but work out what you need to earn uh, throughout the year, then work out what your day rate is or what your hourly rate is or however you choose to do it. And then also work out how much you value the service that you offer and think about where you want to sort of pitch yourself. So, and so that's really what you should be charging and charge what and charge that because you offer genuine value to people. I think the problem with price is you get in a bit of a race to the bottom. And so there's a, so to use an example, I never buy, um, I never get tradespeople off of my hammer or any of these work check all these kind of checker trade type websites because i've been told by tradespeople i trust that when you go on those sites where people are competing on price there's a race to the bottom and he's, and so when you have a quality tradesperson they'll quite often tell you i cannot compete on price with those people because they price too low you cannot do a good job at the prices that they are charging and when i first started i was on a on a directory for people who offer the services i offer and some people put their prices on the website. Now, not everybody did, but the people who did put their price on the website drove a race to the bottom. And not only is that not bad for the people in the industry because it's driving prices down with each other, but it's also not good for the customers. So if you think about coaching, people will then have an expectation that you're going to get quality coaching for, I don't know, £30 an hour. Now, if someone's just starting out or they're not confident enough to charge more, you might get lucky. But generally speaking, um, it sets the wrong mindset because the client is shopping on price instead of looking to solve the problem. Price becomes the factor, not I have a problem, who's the best person to solve it? And I think this is, I think this is the issue. But if you think about things like web, web design is, desi- is a website, but it's also consulting. 
And really you want the person who's going to take time to understand your problem, who really gets you and your brand and delivers. You don't necessarily want the cheapest website. And I would, I'd apply that to copywriting. I'd apply it to, I don't know, interior decorating. I'd apply it to graphic design. It would, it would apply to absolutely everything. That's, that's just my opinion. Some would say you need to know the right ballpark, but I think your the value that you and your customers place on what you do is probably more important. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I actually do have my prices on my website and I use that as one way to set myself apart from other people. And because I actually, I'd, honestly, there's two reasons I have my price on my website. The first one was laziness. So I know that I procrastinate again about putting quotes together for people. And so I, it was creating more work for me and I didn't want to do it. Um, and so I decided to have my fixed price packages on my website so that I didn't have to do as much work putting quotes together for people. But then the second reason was to filter out people and again, save some time for myself because I didn't want people getting in touch with me who didn't have the budget to be able to afford me. Um, and, and then me having to, and then me feel it. And I'm one of those people that I, I can be, I shouldn't be saying this on a public podcast, but I can be so easily persuaded to lower my price, which I shouldn't. And I know I shouldn't, but like, you know, tell me a sub story, like X Factor Styly. And I'm just like, okay, have everything for free. And so it's actually to kind of keep me strong, having my prices on the website so that when people get in touch, they already have an idea of how much it's going to cost. So I don't have to have that awkward conversation with them, which shouldn't be awkward, but it is for me because I'm yeah. British and we don't like talking about money, about that sort of stuff. Um, and so, so that's the reasons I have my price on my website. Um, but I don't think I'm bargain basement price. No, and that's, I mean, I'm not talking about the prices on your website. I'm talking about on the directory. So where people uh, are literally right, yeah. comparing like for like. Prices on the website is a personal thing. You may choose to do it or not. This pro, We've talked about this in other... other on another yeah. podcast, I'm sure we have, where there are pros and cons. So you don't want people to think you're more expensive than you are, but you don't want to look cheaper. It's, I'll leave that one to the to the listener. But um, yeah, I think all I'm saying is, yeah, don't don't cause people to shop purely on price. They need to know yeah. you're in the right ballpark, but that shouldn't be the deciding factor. Establish if you're right for each other first, and then you could possibly work out whether and I think you're, you're, you're yeah. on the same page. Yeah. And I think the most important thing, like you said, was what value are you going to bring? So like, you know, with you, Michelle, the re I always say I work with you. I keep working with you because you more than pay for yourself. Because after I have a session with you, then, well, A, weirdly, like I get, I just like, stuff happens that wasn't happening before. I know, I know. <laughs> so like, I'll like have a session with you then within like 24 hours, someone will contact me and be like, oh, hey, can I give you loads of money? And I'll be like, magical Michelle. Um, but you know, it in terms of how, I, I know that when I work with you, it makes me kind of take different actions that I wouldn't have done on my own and those actions generate income for me. So I know you bring me a lot of value. And again, I shouldn't be telling you this, but I probably pay a lot more for your services. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Darn, I'm on record now. But you know, it's it's what value do you bring? So for, for again, with, you know, with websites, especially if people are selling something online, then it's worth the investment to be able to then generate that extra income. And so like, you know, there's one client I had, um, a charity company, a charity company, <laughs> um, a charity. And um, I think you can actually be a charity in a company. Um, and they, within the first week of launching their website, they'd already got enough donations through the website to cover half of my costs. And so 
the value that I was bringing to them, they weren't getting hardly any donations before. And then once they launched the new website, they got like, you know, a big, you know, lots lots of donations. That was partly to do with their amazing marketing manager, uh, who, you know, communications person, but the website enabled them to do it. And so I think what, what value are you bringing to people and what price would they put on that? So if you're helping somebody to set up a new business as a coach, if you're writing persuasive copy to help somebody sell their services, well, if they if they sell, you know, the ballpark figure, say that say say a project is five hundred pounds to work with them in whatever whatever service you offer, then if you can if you charge five hundred pounds, that's one client. It's it's very you know it's it's kind of like you've they've paid for your investment in with just one client. So ha- think about what your customers are wanting to get out of your services and what value you can add to them, because then I think you can. you know you can start charging a lot more because it's not it's not about the hourly rate it's about what you're worth to them what a good website is worth what good copywriting is worth to them you know if if you if you had if you had um if you got a ten thousand pound client from your website and you'd paid a copywriter five thousand pounds for the website you'd still be making five thousand pounds that you wouldn't have done without that copy potentially so it's that like you could make a case for a really high price based on value if you've got the right services and the right customers Um, yeah and i think like it's also if you want to stand out from the competition people quite often assume low price you could stand out from the competition by doing a really high price um it's like reassuringly expensive i never got the stellar artois campaign yeah made sense to me but yes exactly that you know sometimes when people charge more people think wow they must be they must be the next level up and so yeah i think that's part of your brand as well and you talk about approach as well katie i mean I, i talk about about coaching um i do coaching sessions but um some people like some people just do an hour i don't typically just do a one hour coaching session i don't think you could do a good quality session in just one hour that's not enough time um i can go a bit longer but i also offer options of you know different ways of doing it and so some coaches will do six one hours some will do half a day some will only work with you with a deep you know deep dive on a whole day thing some people will do like a series of sessions so again how you chunk up your time or how you do it can be really key as well you might see people in small bursts you might see people in just a one one-off intervention you might work with someone over a period of time uh, you might work with people at various milestones so so your uh, the way you set out what you do can can make a huge difference as well yeah and it's not like there's a right or wrong answer but there'll be the way that you like to work and that will resonate with some people and you might need to tweak it a little bit. And actually, one thing that's really useful is actually getting feedback from the people that you work with to find out, is this approach working for you? What did you like about this approach? What made you choose me? You know, if you've had a, if you've delivered a good service, most people are quite happy to give you some feedback and to, to tell you, you know, why they found you or um, even, you know, give me give you a testimonial for the website or something like that. So that then when other people who are similar read the website they can see oh okay that this is why this person liked working with with you so and that's something that I would like too so then it helps them to identify again that they found someone that's the right fit and I think that's what it all comes down to is fit like it it's not about yeah your competitions it's finding the people to work with that are a good fit for you however you do that and it's probably a combination of all of the things that we've talked about plus a few others as well you know something like your creative style if you're an illustrator or a graphic designer you might have a particular style and it might be something that a lot of people really don't 
like but you will still have you know we've got the internet now there'll be someone else who will like that style and hopefully there'll be enough people that like it that you can actually make a business out of it um and it might be that you do some projects that are more corporate in order to free up your time to be able to do those kind of passion projects as it were which is where you'll have those people who really want to work with you yeah and even in style even the way you could do consulting with people is key um i like even in coaching style i'm not really a spiritual kind of uh, softly spoken kind of coach i'm not really a jazz hands kind of trainer um, they're just <laughs> not my thing i'm not an entertainer that's not my thing i've got a bit of humor but i don't i don't do that kind of slick shiny stuff that's not really my cup of tea other people absolutely love that though and it's absolutely what they're looking for and so yeah your style is definitely it's, it's like it comes back to that it's not what you do it's the way that you do it and and the style that you do it in is, is key and and the, the service you know how they find you when they work with you some people like to be short sharp and to the point other people need their hands held through the process so again the way that the service that you offer the lengths that you go to or the things that you don't do um are absolutely people it's like the Ryanair Ooh, that's a good it? point people the people don't like to pay for more than they have to so that's why people like Ryanair they don't pay for any extras they don't have um so it's not always going about the extra mile sometimes it's about cutting out the stuff that people don't want to pay for if it's not needed that's such a good point actually that's a really I've not actually thought about that much until just now but well, yeah like, what what fluff can yeah. you remove to create a kind of no frills service or not even no frills but yeah are, are you doing something that you've just been doing because that's how it's always been done and actually can you make it more efficient or can you break it down into bits so that's one of the things I've done is broken services down so um if somebody's already made a start on their website but and then they're a bit stuck then it's not like I'm saying, oh, well, I can't work with you. I'm like, oh, well, I can do some training with you to help you make the most of it and get it launched. So it's, it's about how can you, how can you address people who, are, who don't necessarily want the full package? Can you still offer something to them if that's something that you would like to do? Yeah, particularly in web design. I know so many people who say, well, I have to pay this person £70 a month, but I only want a bit of text updating. So like you say, you offer something where you can just do it. That's why I did my, your website course. I wanted to do it myself. I just just needed someone to show me and then off, off I'm going. I wouldn't pay a web designer to do the whole shebang. So again, if you can only offer parts or you can break it up. It's the old classic entrepreneur thing, isn't it? Can I make things out of constituent parts? Can I take them yeah. apart? Can I put them together? Can I do new combinations? and so on and so forth yeah definitely um and then the, the other thing I, I also wanted to mention as well um which i think i'm seeing a bit more of nowadays but it was a quite a radical um approach when i first started it was it was the idea of actually making friends with your competitors so or, or whatever you want to call them if they aren't actual competitors but other people in your field that, that a lot of people would perceive to be your competitors and I think there's that reluctance sometimes to to kind of be open about what you do. And it's it's that kind of like, oh, no, I shouldn't talk to them because they do the same thing as me. And, and like we're, we're in competition, so we can't talk to each other. But actually what I found is that by making friends with other people who do Squarespace website stuff, it's it's helped both of us because we've been able to share best practice. We've been able to kind of help each other out with challenges, uh, you know, th- 
um, you know, one, one friend that I've got, um, there's a, certain bits that she really doesn't like doing that I help her with. And there's some bits that I get some support from her on and, you know, just having her as a sounding board. But it also means that we can kind of cross refer and cross pollinate to each other. So I think that I've actually got more work by being friends with other Squarespace people, because once I've got a relationship with them and they trust me, if they haven't got the capacity to take on a project, they'll refer to me. And likewise, I do the same with them. And, and so it might not be appropriate in every industry. If we're in a very kind of cutthroat industry, it might not work. Um, but I found it really beneficial to actually make friends with the people or reach out to the people who other people would say are my competitors. I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you've had much experience with that, Michelle. No, I think I think I think you should make friends with your competitors. I think there's there's definitely, like you say, a rising tide lifts all ships. We've said this before. So if uh, like if I take something like coaching in America, that's kind of really growing. In this country, it's not a huge market for it. So other coaches, if they're promoting their business, then more people are aware of the benefits of coaching for example so i benefit from their marketing and that's kind of a weird idea but i do benefit from their from their marketing um but 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 also those people are generally quite passionate about the same things you are so if you want to help people make people make positive change in their lives or make their lives easier or you know more convenient or whatever then then someone else will probably share those values and you can be on a bit of a mission together and you can share useful information and even pass clients to each other there are certain clients i probably not my client i'd happily pass them on to another trainer or another coach and those people send people in my direction as well so i definitely think a win-win mentality there um, benefits everybody definitely well i think we've covered quite a few ways that you can set yourself apart from your competition if you even have any competition um michelle have you got anything that you'd like to add or any kind of top tips or takeaways yeah, I, do. I guess I'm just thinking about that that internal process, external process I was talking about at the beginning. You know, do you have to know what's out there and research the market or can you do it all internally? And, you know, is it all about you, what you want to do, what your value is, how how you, how you knowing yourself? And I think, I think realistically, you pr- probably is useful to know your market and to know your customer. And, and that's absolutely key. But I think if you understand your, your customer, their problems, the value to them of solving them, I think the most important thing is probably just to focus on yourself. Being a strengths coach, Katie, I would probably say uh, my takeaway would be work out what makes you, you. The things you're good at, the things that come naturally to you, the things that that, that, that just... Are, just you just find a way to bring those to the surface and I think that is how you're going to stand out from the competition yeah definitely I think playing to your strengths makes a lot of sense and actually even there might be things that you don't think of as strengths that you can kind of turn around and make work for you so I think my my kind of final thought would be can you take something which you see as a disadvantage or or that isn't working for you and actually turn it into an advantage so for example if you've got less experience can you kind of flip that to say like actually you're not stuck in your ways you're willing to innovate you've got the most up-to-date information rather than somebody who's been doing it for 20 years who might be sort of stuck in the past um if you're just starting out and you've got more availability you might be able to take on projects that other people can't take on um that that happened to me and my partner we um uh, one of my clients got in touch with me just as my partner and I were setting up a separate business doing um, app and software development. 
um, he just quit his corporate job or I think he'd handed in his notice he was still working and one of my clients came to me and said look we've got this funding to create an app and we can't find anyone to do it because everybody's booked up do you know anybody and I was like yes as a matter of fact I do and actually because we were we hadn't taken on any projects yet we you know we had the kind of July fully free July and August fully free for working on that project so we were able to turn it around really quickly because they were our only client and they got all of our focus and so there's a lot of ways that I think you can take something which might be a problem like me when I first started like I, I was um you know I was, I was really worried about having imposter syndrome and being like oh I'm not a real developer but actually when I realized that my clients wanted somebody who just would talk to them in a normal way and didn't want loads of like customizations and stuff because it makes it harder for them to update the site I started using that as an advantage um so I think if you're struggling to find things that set you apart look at some of the things that you're not so keen on and work out if you can flip them over I would say um, so I think with um, everything here, as always, we would love to hear what sets you apart. Are you friends with your competition? Uh, have you done anything differently? Like how, how have you dealt with, if you're in a very kind of populated industry, how have you dealt with it? And of course, we'd also love to know if there's any problems that you would like us to tackle. So you can reach out to us. We now have a separate Twitter handle, finally, for the podcast, which is at 99problemscast on Twitter. So that's the number 99, problemscast, like podcast, on Twitter. So you can contact us there with any thoughts or comments. And um, if you want to make sure that you get all of the future episodes, then subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them. And in the meantime, we will see you next time for an episode of 99 Problems, But a Boss Ain't One. <laughs>